1: and find out more about resources provided by incubators and accelerators. My name is Rudy Fallad and I'll be hosting this podcast. Well, hello and welcome to Voice of Fintech. Today we're going to talk to Jerome from NetGuardians. And NetGuardians is a very well-known startup, or we can maybe say scale up these days, from Lausanne and they are active in cybersecurity, which is obviously a, a top priority for many firms, especially in the financial services sector. And uh, we're going to talk about the technological angle to it, the business side of it, how to grow the business, what is the AI in fraud prevention doing, what is the current level of it. I'm very much looking forward to this interview with Jerome. How are you today?
0: Thank you, Rudolf. Thank you for inviting me. I'm feeling very well. Thank you for this opportunity and I'm really looking forward to have a chance to tell you a few words about NetGuardians.
1: Brilliant. Great to have you. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? How did you get to do what you do today? I always ask that because I'm uh, slightly, you know, biased towards uh, entrepreneurial roots these days, but nothing wrong with being an employee, of course, having done this for a few years. How did you get to do what you do today at Nerd Guardians, then?
0: Sure, sure. And it's a good question. But yeah, I, um, uh, you know. I guess I'm first and foremost today a passionate software engineer and computer scientist, and interesting to see where this comes from. I remember putting my hands on my first computer, which was a Commodore 128 at the time, when I was 12 years old, and and knowing very well at that very moment, that would be my career. And looking where I stand, nearly 30 years after now, I'm still very much passionate by technology, artificial intelligence, computer science, programming, etc. And I made all my career in financial institutions and fintech and consulting companies working for banks. And to be honest, I wouldn't see myself working in any other business nowadays. Financial institutions, banks, financial markets form a very interesting domain of application in computer science due to the complexity of this system and the wide range of concerns to be addressed from real-time trading, real-time computing, to highly mathematical applications on the other hand. And I guess that my role today as CTO of NetGuardians is a natural evolution in my career. NetGuardians is a Swiss-based software editor developing a big data analytics platform that we package and deploy in financial institutions, mostly today to detect fraudulent activities and prevent fraudulent transactions.
1: All right, understood. Now, of course, you can join different kinds of startups or scale-ups. So why have you joined uh, NetGuardians?
0: Let me tell you about it. Before the NetGuardian's co-founder reached out to me, I was a consultant for a few years, working mostly for the major European banking institutions. And I really liked the job at the time, mostly the possibility to jump quickly from one topic to another, one customer to another. It was very dynamic, and I remember very much enjoying that. Having said that, I did miss the product culture very much at the time. As a consultant, I was guiding other teams, other leaders in adopting technologies, designing information systems, driving innovation projects, etc. But I was missing the deep implication and engagement that you get when you create a product from A to Z and sell it. Developing its funny because I always tend to believe that developing a software is the closest you can get in your day job to having an actual child, right? So. When NetGuardians pivoted to banking fraud seven years ago, the co-founders were looking for someone to lead the product research and development department, someone who is a strong technical background and an extensive experience in finance. And Switzerland is a small country, so they have been directed by some common relationship we had in the advisory board to my profile. So we met, and they told me their story and shared their vision with me, and I decided that, yeah, I just wanted to be part of it. And I guess that today, seven years after this first encounter, this company and this product are just as much my children as they are theirs.
1: All right. Now let's talk about then your children in the cyberspace, right? So yeah. Night Guardians, what is your key product? What is the problem that you're working on?
0: That's a good question. The Guardians, were focusing only today on banking fraud detection and prevention. From the broad perspective, just as much attempt to hack a digital banking Uh, platform, then internal fraud, then scams prevention, and so on. It's a fairly interesting domain for artificial intelligence.
1: All right. Understood. Now, slightly loaded question, but when I hear AI working on fraud prevention, of course, I remember sometimes the bad experience I had with fraud prevention in banking, and some of this predates uh, NetGuardian. So hopefully, nowadays, the solutions and systems are so much better but as you said, if you were a consultant, let's say that uh, one month you're in Mexico for work, then you're back in Switzerland, then you go to Serbia, then you back to Switzerland, yeah. then you go to Germany, and then one of the big banks would uh, stop your card because they thought, oh my God, somebody stole this card for sure. But maybe that was your life, and that now you wanted to buy the last ticket. To, to get the, the last train out of Munich to, to Zurich or something, you couldn't because somebody decided to block your card without telling you. If they asked you, fair enough, or if they knew you at least a little bit, they know that this is your lifestyle. You could be in different countries that some of them they may find as high risk up to them. So the question for me is, when will we have the truly intelligent AI working on fraud prevention in banking or Do we already have it? And I'm just uh, bringing up memories from many years ago.
0: That's a very good question. And uh, it's hard to answer since intelligent AI will need to be defined precise. So maybe I will start with distinguishing strong artificial intelligence versus weak artificial intelligence, and then share my perspective on what I believe would be a truly intelligent So. If we qualify as a strong artificial intelligence, a software program able to contextualize or show sensitivity or emotions or show creativity or just exceed its programming context, then we don't have today the slightest trade of a proof that we'd be one day able to create such a program. This is downright science fiction. There's nothing in the real world anywhere close to the beginning of it. And the thing is that artificial intelligence is generating a lot of fantasy in the public's mind. And I guess that the fact that we have given names to some of these algorithms, such as neural networks, is not helping in this regard. And that's interesting, because if we had given neural networks the technical names they should have, which would be largely convolutive and iterative statistical matrix models, then I'm quite sure they wouldn't generate the same level of fantasy. Anyways, and then... If we qualify as a weak artificial intelligence, a software program able to optimize a mathematical function or solve a classification problem or take a decision based on input data, then the progresses today are tremendous and new applications and solutions pop nearly every week. This technology evolves at a very fast pace, and today's AI programs are a collection of sometimes hundreds of different algorithms working together to solve analytical problems, such as driving a car autonomously, for instance, which is amazing. But then when it comes to true intelligence, I strongly believe that the only true actual intelligence today in the world of AI is in the mind of the people developing this system, not the machine, never the machine. And the example you have been giving is put on. Today, it's up to the development team of this profiling system to build models able to understand that for some people, it's very common to travel and where they are traveling. And it's very feasible to be one day buying something at the airport in Moscow and 12 hours after being somehow in New York buying something at the airport there. And, you know, from a physical perspective, it's perfectly feasible to travel this way, but it requires a lot of maturity into developing this system that can distinguish people that are really using their credit cards essentially in Switzerland versus people traveling a lot versus corporate account, if you think of it, that are using the corporate account by the bank in completely different ways, sometimes paying providers and furnishers all over the world. And then again, the progresses today are tremendous, essentially around two dimensions, the complexity of the individual machine learning algorithm and the number of these algorithms deployed together and working in conjunction in artificial intelligence system. And I guess that what we do at NetGuardians is a good illustration of all this evolution, because when we started in 2016, we were using one or two different methods to infer good features on events we were monitoring, mostly banking activities and and financial transactions, as well as a single supervised learning algorithm. Today, we use a combination of multiple dozens of different unsupervised and supervised techniques all working together and each of them focusing on a specific perspective, such as the timing of events, their frequency, their location, and that rings a bell, the destination of the phones, etc. Or sometimes also to take care of a different step in the scoring process. So yeah, again, my takeaway here would be that the intelligence is in the mind of the people developing the systems and not in the software.
1: So I wasn't really after whether we can get the general intelligence working on fraud prevention. Maybe it would be an overkill. But even before you put uh, together all these algorithms in place, maybe a simple solution would be if you suspect something's going on, you try to reach the person before you cut off their cards. But in any case, if you zoom in on the anti-fraud AI, because you mentioned supervised learning, things like this. So what kind of AI are we talking about? Let's flesh it out a little bit more. And also, how good is it if you have some stats in terms of improvement, if you use it or if you don't use it? I know that credit card companies, they put aside certain amount of volume as a reserve for fraud. Is that something that you can bring down if you use your algorithms? How does that work? Yeah, definitely. So uh, it's fairly
0: interesting because if you think of it, anti-fraud systems today form a very peculiar and passionating domain of application for artificial intelligence. The nature of the problem to be solved makes it very specific. Think of it, while some payments channels, such as credit cards, for instance, experience a up- of frauds, other channels, such as digital banking payments, have typically only a few frauds a day for a million transactions, right? And most sophisticated machine learning algorithms we have today perform very poorly on such data set. They work well when the data is very much balanced between the positive and other populations. As an example, every engineer knows today how to train a neural network to recognize pictures of cats. You train a neural network, feeding it with a ta- with thousands of pictures of cats on one side, and thousands of pictures of other animals and other objects on the other side, and boom. The neural network is perfectly able to recognize most of the time a cat from a new picture. But then... Imagine now that you try to train such a neural network using only six pictures of cats and millions of random pictures of other animals and objects. The next picture of a cat you will be presenting to this neural network will be classified as anything, such as an elephant, right? But there's no way an algorithm trained this way understands how to recognize a cat. And we're in the same situation. The very imbalanced nature of the data we're playing with makes all simple approaches simply irrelevant. So we have to do fairly complex stuff. Our state of the art approach today at NetGuardians is a combination of multiple fairly evolved techniques and approaches working together. And I don't want to go into the details of all that, but I want to bring categories of techniques we're using first. Unsupervised learning, of course, for anomaly detection with a wide range of different algorithms there, from simple statistical or Poisson scoring down to clustering and peer group profiling. And at the end of the day, fraudulent activities are all and transactions are always part of the set of anomalies. So that's fairly easy to figure. And then supervised learning techniques, with, again, a lot of different models being acquired from classification algorithm down to risk scoring techniques to distinguish between legitimate anomalies and highly potentially fraudulent transactions. And last but not least, active learning and other supervision techniques to monitor and supervise the feedback we get from banking users reviewing the hits. And the hits are all these transactions, activities that we block in real time on the system. Someone within the bank will investigate them and provide us with a feedback. Yeah, that was very relevant. Hit, thank you for blocking this activity, NetGuardians. Or what the hell are you doing, NetGuardians? And then we retrain our algorithm mostly based on this feedback. So we can only be as good as the quality of this feedback. So it's absolutely key to be able to supervise it. And then, and that's uh, coming back to your point. When we block a transaction, there's a real-time alert being sent to someone within the bank who needs to investigate that. And he, that human being, will take the eventual decision. And that can very well be, I will give the customer a call, Mr. Curly, are you really in Moscow trying to buy this thing in this airport shop? And Yes, that's me. Please make it so that this payment can So at the end of the day, we don't supplant the human decision process. We're enhancing it. We give bankers a chance to review potentially or likely fraudulent activities before the funds leave the bank. And this is called augmented intelligence. Now to give you some retail banking institutions, we block less than 0.1% of the activities of the transaction While detecting 98 to 99 percent of the fraudulent transaction in wealth management institution or private banking institutions, a little different because of the very heterogeneous nature of the financial transactions there. So, in private banking institutions, we block between 0.5 and 1 percent of the payment to detect between 90 and 95 percent of the frauds
1: all right so if we try to maybe change it to a volume base so let's say that three uh, percent of the volume on the credit cards is fraudulent if you use your technique can you get it down to two percent or can you quantify it in terms of uh, dollar or swiss francs it's, it's
0: very difficult to come up with clear figures in terms of how much money we were preventing but i would say that on, on the credit card channel specifically we would be detecting 80% of the transactions, of the fraudulent transactions. The credit card channel is something very specific because of the real time aspect of the detection that needs to occur, blah, blah, blah. But these 80% of the payments that, of the frauds, of, of the fraudulent payments that we would prevent represent sometimes up to 95% of the money, that, of the money losses that, we, that we're able to prevent. And that's fairly interesting.
1: Okay, understood, understood. And who are your target customers? Are you working with uh, payment companies like Visa, MasterCard, or the banks, or you know all of the above, of course, but what about the fintechs?
0: No, we're not working with payment providers uh, today. That would be an interesting evolution, perhaps, for NetGuardians. guardians. We'll see where we stand in a few years. We'll get back to that later on, I guess. Today, we're working mostly, not, not mostly, only for financial institutions, right? Our typical customers are tier one and tier two banking institutions big banks to medium-sized banks, where we detect fraudulent activities in a holistic fashion. Fraudulent transactions, of course, and activities on digital channels, just as much as internal fraud, scams, and so on. In terms of type of institutions, we work just as much with massive retail banking institutions in Asia than small private banking institutions in Switzerland. So we have the, the whole spectrum of it. And our key markets are Europe, which is our home market, obviously, Africa and Asia Pacific. Um, we don't focus so much on the U.S. for the time being for many reasons. First, because of very specific markets, a very closed market. And we perceive Asia as much more, APAC as much more interesting for our growth in the coming two years I'm trying to implant ourselves in the United States. And with regards to the deployment, these banks are very different from one another. So in tier one banking institution, we deploy mostly on-premise, while in tier two banking institution, we bring them to our SAAS, our software as a service platform on the cloud.
1: All right. Now, let's, uh, let's talk money. How do you make money? Do, are you taking a cut of what you prevented? And if the banks don't want to pay up, then are you, you work with the hackers or... Do you charge the fee per volume of transactions? or It's a good question.
0: We try that. We try that. Every time we have a customer telling us, hey, guardians, this is quite expensive solution. We're like, okay, you know what? Forget about the recurring fee, but we take one third or one fourth or even only 10% of the losses we prevent. Fair enough? And they always say, okay, no, let's go back to the usual model. So yeah. Our usual model today is our customers pay an annual recurring licensing fee, which, as you say, is computed exactly from that. The volume of financial transactions, and sometimes we also account the asset under management as a metric in computing the licensing fee, mostly for private banking institutions. We also build today delivery and integration costs, of course, when we integrate the solution ourselves, but we intend to get away as much as possible from this activity and rely increasingly on local partners for integration. You know, we're not very much interested in selling services at the end of the day, and we would want to focus in the future on selling licenses only. But yeah, that would require us to reach a critical mass to find the proper partners that would be able to carry on integration aspects for us, and we're not exactly there yet. But it's an ultimate objective, right? Moving away from being both a product and service company today to turning into a product-only company.
1: Understood. Now, you mentioned that your key clients, of course, are in Europe and Asia. But how do you serve them? You're based in Lausanne, but you also have offices in those regions or in those countries outside of Switzerland. How does that work? Or can you do all of this remotely anyway?
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's... Good point now. And we're wondering how much delivery model will change in the future with this COVID crisis. But anyway, today we do indeed have offices, quite big offices in Nairobi, Kenya, where we're driving the whole African activities and in Singapore, where we're driving the APAC activities. We're really in the process of building this APAC center in Singapore, which is already existing. We have a few customers there, but this is where we're investing most, most of our effort today. Other than that, we're headquartered in Switzerland, in Yverdon, Thailand, and we have uh, commercial offices in London and in Munich, in uh, Germany, and we have a Nearshore Development Center in Warsaw.
1: All right, that's clear. So I always like to talk to people who are thinking about productization and path to scale, which in Europe means going international. I'm happy to hear that you said that you're not done yet. So, where are you on your journey? And uh, what kind of uh, milestones would you like to hit in 2022 so you get further to what you want to accomplish?
0: Yeah. In terms of geographic reach, we're we're really strong today in Europe, which is, again, our local market uh, and in Africa. Regarding Asia, we are, I would say, in the middle of the process of building it. We have a few customers there. We have a delivery team. We have the sales team that's literally to be built from scratch. And this is really where we're investing our effort today, and I would say in the coming years. Building a strong sales team, identifying and leveraging on the right partners, scaling the delivery team eventually, and hopefully becoming a major player in Asia as well. APAC is a fairly interesting market because it's very dynamic, especially in the financial services domain. And yeah, to give you a few figures, we're, we're today 100 FTEs companies, and we have a little less than 80 financial institutions as customers, again, mostly in Switzerland, uh, mostly in Europe and in Africa, and and APAC is will really be our focus for the next, I would say, two to three years. Um, regarding the product, it's, it's interesting because today we have a very solid technology for the banking fraud detection and prevention problem. And we intend to scale our offering towards a much broader financial crime use case coverage. There are many concerns in financial crime fighting in banking institutions, and fraud detection is an essential one of them, of course. But there's also AML, anti-money laundering, transaction monitoring, KYC, know your customer, and of course, customer and transaction screening. KYC and screening require very different technology than the ones we have built today, so they're not in our short-term focus. But interestingly, AML transaction monitoring is very close from what we do on fraud. Just the perspective of the analytics is different. If you think of it, finding fraud is a lot about understanding where the hell the money goes, while anti-money laundering is a lot about understanding where the hell the money comes from, right? But from a technical standpoint, from an analytical perspective, it's very similar. And that's opportunistic uh, short-term quick win for us to extend our use cases in the product to AML transaction monitoring first directly, and then eventually to a complete financial crime coverage through partner services integration for KYC. So, yeah, what can I say? Building our activities, scaling further, building and scaling further our activities in APAC is something that we believe is beyond our reach today. We need support from investors to do that. We have raised 30 million USD so far since the inception of NetGuardians. And this has been really key into making us scale to where we are today. But we need now a next stage a level of investment to help us really build the APAC region.
1: All right, understood. So to wrap up, where can interested parties reach you? Whether it could be the customers or people that can help you to build out your presence in APAC or elsewhere, And if you're going to raise more money, of course, investors.
0: And I would believe that the best way to get in touch with NetGuardians, including myself, is through our website. We have all the addresses of the different offices, phone numbers, email, Twitter account, LinkedIn account that is fairly obviously available from the, Net, the, the NetGuardians website, www.netguardians.ch. And then if it's more getting personally in touch with myself, then I would believe that LinkedIn is the way to go. So search for Jerome Kelly, K-E-H-R-L-I on LinkedIn. And I'd be more than happy to take your
1: request from there. Great stuff. Thank you very much. And good luck to NetGuardians.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Rudolf. Thank you again for inviting me. Big pleasure.
1: Thank you for listening to Voice of Fintech podcast. If you haven't already, check out also voiceoffintech.com, where you will find all the episodes and additional resources related to the podcast. You can also subscribe to Voice of Fintech on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google or any other podcast app that you like. If you have any suggestions on the topics or guests, or how to make this podcast better for you, please email us at info at voiceofintech.com. Happy to hear from you. Thank you.